0: We who are about to die, salute you! going everybody the chrises are back for the uh hmm sort of kind of penultimate episode here or the penultimate regular episode of moratory mondays this is episode 30 we're talking about the second to last monthly issue of strike force moratory never thought we'd get here what are, what are your feelings on this uh chris
1: well chris never thought we'd get here is an understatement i never in my wildest dreams believed <laughs> Even in my heart of hearts that we would get to episode 30, but we're here. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Last week we had a special episode, okay? We, did. So we had So we had an animator special with Mr. John Celestri. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking to myself, you know, what can we do? You know, we really need to go out on a, you know, a solid foot. We need yes. to bring the masses, you know, to, uh, to something very, very super special. And remember, if you're a longtime listener... You know, Sometimes we ask questions within the show Sometimes we talk out loud and say Geez, I wish we had the creator to talk about this Or to answer this question So, unbeknownst to everybody We have been asking the creators all these questions, Chris mm-hmm. So, when I wanted to ask Brent Anderson Who was the artist On the first 20 issues of Strikeforce Moratory We actually wrote the guy and asked him mm-hmm. To our Absolutely. surprise brent responded so here you go so today we're going to present part one of a q a with brent anderson the artist of almost Oops. the first 20 issues of strike force moratorium and yeah, brother absolutely. it is detailed oh but... yes he does not hold
0: back here these are some these i mean we are getting information here that could be Added into Wikipedia, and we wouldn't even be kicked off. (laughs) Oh no, no, no! Good stuff.
1: This is the real deal. There will be answers to questions that uh, you've never heard before that have not been made public, and we ask the questions. This is only part one, and guess what? Brent really came to the table for us, and we are so happy that he took the time to write us. But we also got something also uniquely special to the Chris and Reggie Network. Tell us what we're going to do.
0: You know, I. One thing we haven't done yet with uh, our creators, which, uh, you know, listeners of the old Cosmic Treadmill might remember, like, when we talked about an issue, we also uh, we also went deep on the creators. And uh, we didn't do that for this program. But uh, what do you say we uh, – maybe we meet Mr. Anderson. Maybe we uh, go through his life and times uh, from his birth to the time he uh, started working on this very
1: book. By and, God, you know, Chris – I I think we call that... And now it's time to go full treadmill.
0: Ooh, I hope I'm not too rusty here. Let's do this. Brent Eric Anderson, born June 15th, 1955 in San Jose, California. Now, Brent would discover his passion for superhero comic books, Marvel comics in particular, while he was in junior high school. Now, the first of which he would read was Fantastic Four, number 69. That had a December 1967 cover date. The story was called By Ben Betrayed by Lee and Kirby, which featured the thing on a rampage throughout New York City. Of this issue, Brent recalls on the bio page of brentandersonart.com, he says, they, the FF, were a family who had superpowers and helped each other out. I wanted to be part of a family like that. Now, while still in school, Brent would begin creating his own comics characters, just like many of us fans are known to do. Now, those characters would include Radium the Robot and the Chameleon. Now, of Radium, uh, during the mid-2000s, Brent would upload some actual Radium the Robot comics pages from his own school notebooks. And these were at brentandersonart.com, and we'll link to them in the show notes. Because uh, they're dated, and they are, uh, I mean, he put the date that he that he drew them on there. So, like, these are coming from the late 60s. It's, it's some wild stuff. Now, Brent was self-taught. Uh, he learned from copying photos and comic art. He would learn to paint from a series of painting and drawing books by the by Walter Thomas Foster. Uh, Thomas Foster was born uh, 19 I'm sorry 1891 and would pass in 1981. And let me tell you, there are a ton of Walter T. Foster books out there. If you're uh, if you're into any kind of art or drawing or painting, you've probably owned one or you've at least seen one because uh, there are a lot of them. Now, Brent would also assist his high school art teacher in critiquing the other students' work and providing advice to help them succeed. Brent would do some illustrations for fanzines in the early to mid-1970s, including a zine he co-founded called Venture. Now, that ran from 72 to 73 and ran for five issues. Now, this was a three-man operation, and the other two-thirds of Venture would include Frank Soracco, a member of a Neil, Bunk- Neil Adams' Krusty Bunkers Collective, which uh, Reggie and I talked about quite a bit in the uh, treadmill. Uh, he was also the co-creator of Alien Legion, which you might remember from uh, Marvel's Epic line. The other third was Gary Winnick, and he would go on to be an artist and animator for Lucasfilm Games. And, uh... Of the many things he did, he also co-designed Maniac Mansion, among uh, other point-and-click classics. you have any uh, Maniac Mansion memories there, Chris?
1: Oh boy, Maniac Mansion! One of uh, you know, like you said, a point and click classic is one of those oh, yeah. games that you would that, <laughs> that you get on. It was early in my gaming life. Sure. but uh, Maniac Mansion was was hella fun. You never knew what was coming around the corner, and uh, for that moment in time, you believed that you were in some uh, some crazy haunted house activity right there. And yeah, it was it was some fun stuff.
0: Oh, I'm st- I'm still too scared to play that game all the way through because I'm always afraid <laughs> I'm gonna get caught, and I always do get caught. <laughs> But then there's parts of the game where you're supposed to get caught. And, oh, it's too much for me. Oh, it's too much. too much. Too much to bear. <laughs> now, Brent would say about his partners in an interview with ComicAttack.net, he say, Gary Frank and I became lifelong friends and at the time did critique each other's work. We traded comics, though I mostly bought them from Frank and developed a fast <laughs> friendship, which endures to this day.
1: I like how he mostly bought them from, yes. from Gary <laughs> Frank. yes. <laughs> Well done.
0: Also, from Ken Meyer Jr.'s ComicAttack.net, Brent would say of Venture, getting out an issue of Venture was a work of love and collaboration, yet trying to carve out a private niche in each issue we could independently call our own. Oh, by the way, another fellow who would pop into this zine in the final fifth issue was. Mr. Carl Potts.
1: Hey, geez,
0: Mm. I'd like to speak to him one day. Maybe one of these days. Now, uh, Brent would start his own fanzine in 1974 called Mindworks. Now, this featured a lot of self-published – this was self-published by Brent and was comprised mostly of Brent's own early work. Uh, Sirocco and Winnick would contribute a little bit of their art as well. Into the uh, professional world here, Brent's first professional work would appear in some underground comics of the mid to late 70s, which included All Slug Comics No. 5 in 1976. Now, this was an annual comic book by the Graphic Stories Guild, a student group from the University of California. Brent draws the cover, which features well, a giant slug. Uh, he what also I'm saying,
1: with, yeah, with All Slug
0: Comics, sure. Absolutely. He also contributes a 12-page martial arts story called The Vigilante. Now, other pros involved with all Slug Comics, uh, we got uh, Neil Adams, Alan Weiss, and uh, a guy you might have heard of named Jack Kirby. So oh, uh, A little, little bit of talent there. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, he also uh, worked on Tesserae No. 7, 1977. This is also known as Slug No. 7. Now, you see, there was Slug 1 through 4, then All Slug Comics No. 5, then Slug number no. 6, And there was a little bit of a schism in the collective, so Tesserae picks up with Slug's, I guess we can call it legacy numbering, with number seven.
1: My goodness, Uh, this this was as convoluted as today's Marvel.
0: It's true, it's true. (laughs) Uh, Also, Magic Carpet number two in 1978 from Comics and Comics with an X, Co. Um, Now, he works off of uh, Jim Pinkowski's layouts to pencil a story called To Live in Alloy Continuity, which was written by Eric Vinikoff. Now, Brent provided art for an eight-page backup story that appeared in one, number one, July 1977 cover date, which was the first-ever comic Pacific Comics ever published. Wow, Um, look at this. Pretty crazy, right? I mean, that's a a pretty big deal. Now, Brent's Marvel career would start with some pencil work in Marvel Super Special number 17, a.k.a. Xanadu the illustrated story
1: i okay. have that bad boy proudly <laughs> i do those marvel super specials hell yeah
0: oh, absolutely now this one uh, if it's no, not completely obvious is based on the 1980 olivia newton john film which was adapted by, for comics by jmd Mateus. now other artists involved in the super special include rich buckler jim james michael netzer joe brozowski al milgram and bill Sinkevich. Now, uh, Brent would contribute pencils for a comedy, stories, co- comedy story called Clothes Call, like clothes, like the clothes you wear, uh, written by Roger Stern that appeared in the Hulk magazine number 23, October 1980 cover date. In 1981, Brent would get a regular gig as penciler of the newly launched Kzar the Savage. Kzar number one would launch with an April 1981 cover date, and he would work with Bruce Jones here. Bruce Jones was the writer. Uh, worth noting, Anderson is actually credited as co-plotter for Kazar the Savage number seven, October 1981 cover date. The story is called Nightmare. Uh, Brent would remain on Kazar the Savage until issue twenty, November 1982. That that sounds like another book we might know a thing or two about where he left <laughs> after issue twenty. Huh. <laughs> now let's keep with uh, Brent's uh, working relationship with Bruce Jones for a little bit. We jump ahead to 1983-1984. They teamed up back at Pacific Comics for the first four issues of the Somerset Holmes miniseries. Now, those ran from cover date September 1983 to April 1984. Pacific would go bankrupt after the fourth issue. And uh, you could check out episode 30 of Weird Comics History, the direct market part one in the archives for all the details on you know, the life and times of Pacific Comics. Uh, Now, the property was picked up, and the remaining two issues would be published by Eclipse Comics, and those had a November and December 1984 cover date. Eclipse Comics would also put out a collected edition, also known as a graphic album back in the day, of all six issues in 1987. Bruce Jones and co-plotter April Campbell planned out Somerset Holmes as sort of a low-key movie pitch, which, you know, when you think about it, is kind of ahead of its time, because I think most indie comics are that now. Uh, <laughs> you're, now,
1: you're not wrong on that, brother <laughs>
0: now, Jones has also said on record that, that they feel as though The Long Kiss Goodnight A 1996 new line cinema film Starring Gina Davis More or less swiped Their entire Somerset Holmes idea Ooh. Yes, back to Brent Along with dozens of other Marvel artists Brent would take part In the May 1982 cover dated Fre- Fred Hembeck one shot Fantastic Four Roast number 1 On November 30th, 1982 Marvel would release marvel graphic novel number five that had a cover date of january 1983 and this is one you might have heard of it's a it's a little ditty called x-men god loves man kills written by chris claremont yes course, sir
1: bought that through...
0: new england comics <laughs> very, very cool Indeed. I, I remember they were doing all like new printings of it new shiny printings yep. and and all the comic shops in the area were getting rid of their originals they like they didn't want the originals anymore, so they were like clearancing them out. It's like,
1: Oh, I'll take that, yeah. I, I, I think I have a second edition, and it was bundled with Spider-Man Hookie. How about that? Oh,
0: boy. I have, the, I have that autographed by...
1: Uh, wait, wait. look at you.
0: <laughs> I do. You Found that, that in the quarter bin, actually. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Mr. Brent Anderson did provide amazing art for God Loves Man Kills. And I almost can't believe it. In five years of podcasting, we never covered God Loves Man Kills. So we might have to do something about that down the line. Yes. Yeah. Uh, now this wasn't Brent's first X work, or the first time he worked with Mr. Claremont, because he also provided pencils for Uncanny X-Men Annual number five in 1981, and that one always sticks out to me because on the cover it says la, la Badoon," so always <laughs> sticks out. Now Brent, along with one Will Spertasio, may have inked Art Adams pencils on Longshot number one, September 1985 cover date. Though, that's not, that might not be 100% accurate, because some sources cite this as being Brent Anderson, while others give the nod to prolific Marvel inker Bill Anderson. It's only worth noting here, because I think it would be super cool to have uh, Brent and Wils working together on something before Strike Force Moratory. So, I'm, I'm oh, hoping. that is neat. Very
1: <laughs> yes.
0: cool. Now, Brent was part of a huge Marvel project called Heroes for Hope, starring the X-Men, December 1985 cover date, which raised funds for famine relief and recovery in Africa. He was also part of the art team for Return of the Jedi Weekly for Marvel UK in 1986. And that brings us right about to the point where a certain comic book we all know and love is darn near about to hit the stands. So that brings us to Brent Anderson working on Strike Force Moratory. Next episode, we'll talk about everything that came after.
1: Wow. And that, ladies and gentlemen is called the full treadmill right there baby <laughs> Reggie smiling while. at that one Christopher brother you <laughs> hammered that one that Thank is a you. taste just a slice of what you can hear on Cosmic Treadmill all the time so dive into those archives everybody now we are on to the Q&A with Mr. Brent Anderson and you know what Brent was kind enough and uh, I was very surprised to see the the detail of the answers because uh, I swung for the fences when I sent him a list of questions, <laughs> not knowing if he was going to respond and all that stuff. Because, you know what? Believe it or not, folks have lives outside of our little podcast. I know it's hard to believe. Yep, Who are these people? Who are these people? <laughs> but uh, Brent was super cool. And boy, did he oh, give absolutely. us some amazing responses. So we're going to cover the first half of the Q and a right here now. So we're going to dive in with question number one, and we're going to talk all about, character construction. So we all know that, you know, a lot of the cool characters that that we've seen, they're unique to Strike Force Moratory. They're unlike anything that you've seen in any comics there. All the costumes were different. You know, there were so many uh, so many differences between a Strike Force Moratori comic and what was going on at Marvel at the time back in um, 87. So I asked him this question. I says, "As an artist, did you have any input in character design for the Moratori?" If so, what parameters did you have in their development? What was allowed? What was forbidden? Did yourself and Peter Gillis bounce ideas back and forth on such things as costume design, backstory, or power sets? Describe the process of creation. Any favorite characters or art pieces that you you did that you stand out as your favorites? And he responded with,
0: He says, Peter Gillis and I hit it off right away. I remember spending a weekend staying at his mother's house, his childhood home, north of New York City, just talking about the series and what he wanted it to be and what I might be what I might bring to the creation. I was never so jazzed about a project up to that point as I was over Strikeforce Force It wasn't until 10 years later that I topped the experience working with Kurt Busick on Astro City. Peter gave me complete freedom to to design anything that made a statement about each character. Nice. The one thing, yeah, I know, this is awesome stuff here. Uh, the one thing Peter told me was that each character was responsible for designing their own costume, so the possibilities were wide open to to interpretation. I wanted to make sure that each design reflected a different historical archetype hero. The costume for the writer/ chronicler Viking, originally Rakshasa, was patterned after Sir Anthony Mildmay a 16th century member of parliament and a knighted ambassador to France, simply because I liked the Shakespearean look of it. Viking was originally named Rakshasa, which in Hindu mythology is a type of demon or goblin that has the power to change their shape at will and appear as animals, as monsters, or in the case of female demons as beautiful women. I knew it. <laughs> How about that? I mean, yeah, Viking was almost not Viking. That's, that's crazy. That's some detail right there. And he continues with. He does. I shotgun designs based on robot exoskeletons, Roman centurions, 9th and 14th century French and 16th century English soldiery, Roman gladiators for marathon, Spanish conquistadors, capes, boots, gauntlets, epaulets, uh, Roman and D- Dyson cuirasses, etc. Now, Snapdragon's costume was patterned on the shapes of a Snapdragon flower. With a Radian, I played around with Neil Adams' all-black Havoc costume, while Adept nice. reflected, I know, totally, a religious clergyman's raiments. Blackthorn sported a costume designed around a 19th century whalebone bodice and tucked waist shirt and habit shirt collars. I even included cowboy hat-slash-helmet and Buffalo Bill buckskin fringe designs, as well as Robin Hood pastiche and French Cavaliers. I mean, amazing. <laughs> i would love i would love to see like a photo of his desk while he was while he was putting this together that's
1: see that that is what you call next level detail right there these are not just costumes these are like super inspired so you know when you think about throwing a cape and a uh you know a symbol on a chest uh he goes way beyond that but he doesn't stop there chris
0: Nope. The scatterbrain character, you know, our man Will Degucci, he liked his black watch training suit so much, as seen on the cover of the first issue, and in issue number two, he decided to keep it. Designing the hardware was another joy. I went crazy designing the moratory patches and the Padean World Collective insignia, as well as the alien combat weapons, air and space-going craft, and of course, the Horde aliens. What I'm going to reveal here may be a little disgusting to human viewers, but... No, no, I can't reveal this information. Let's just say it has to do with how the Horde
1: reproduce, and leave it at that. <laughs> Thank you for sparing us that one, Brent. <laughs> but pardon me is curious. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I think we're curious here. I, I don't know. I think I think you left a lot of dangling bits here, pardon the pun. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> all right so we're going to talk debunking myths here now okay so uh one of the one of the big uh conceptions about strike force moratory has been their ties to the new universe so i asked him about it i said uh you know new universe ties question mark coinciding with the release of strike force moratory and marvel's 25th anniversary era there were rumors that this title was originally designed to be part of the Jim shooter project the new universe you know that uh you know a star brand and the gang the world outside your window you know never, never heard, heard of them anybody. yeah never never heard, never heard, heard of them, them. no Certainly way are not going to talk about them anytime soon no i bet you everybody listening has a copy of kickers inc number one i guarantee it you look in your you look in your long box you'll find it it's there i drove i drove 40 miles for it there you go see it's worth money <laughs> uh, or something yes i asked him i said was there any truth to this rumor you know of being tied to the new universe if so what details do you recall about its vision if such a connection was made if you can recall anything about creative decisions at this time with shooters focus on developing the brand for the new imprint of books you know feel free to comment here what was the vibe on the new universe project um from what you picked up on as a creator around this time did it have the support Or was the whole vibe doomed to failure? And Brent would say, I have absolutely no vibe or
0: recollection whatsoever of the new universe, either then or now. And what, if any, relationship Strike Force Moratory had to it? It's possible when Peter brought Strike Force Moratory to Jim Shooter before I was involved, Jim may have angled Peter to include the Strike Force Moratory concept into the new universe. But that wasn't what Peter wanted for the title. Peter did tell me that if Marvel hadn't been interested in publishing a Strike Force separate from the Marvel Universe, he had the option of taking the project to one of the smaller independent publishers, like Comico or First. But Peter had designs on getting Strike Force Moratoria distributed to newsstands, and not just through the direct market. And Marvel and DC had those newsstand channels pretty much locked up. Now, Peter wanted to develop his own X-Men-like franchise and get it displayed next to Marvel and DC product on the newsstands. Marvel's Epic imprint was suggested, but Epic was direct sale only. So Peter went with Jim's offer of the newsstand distribution deal, which would allow us the opportunity of having Strike Force Moratory treated like the Fantastic Four, Avengers, and X-Men books, which were all seminal inspirations for Strike Force Moratory. Whoa. Very cool. Could very you imagine, Could you imagine had Peter agreed to run it through Epic and maintained all the creative rights and control. And
1: My I mean, goodness, I mean, what, what could have been right? Wow. Can you imagine Strikeforce Moratory for Comico? <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, why pick, not? Pick, yeah, picking it up with, uh, with Grendel and Justice Machine and Strikeforce Moratory, <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> totally. but anyway, yeah, you're right. Just imagine if this thing had a life of its own, like on an Epic imprint, it would have been, Wow. uh, yeah one
0: of the bigger things that we hear uh when strike force comes up in conversation one of the first things you hear about is the rights and how you know that's going to be like the big sticking point with you know adapting it for film or television it's it's you know marvel has some of it gillis has some of it it's just it'd be interesting had they gone with epic because i mean there is that possibility it would have been a creator-owned title at that point
1: my goodness wow I, sh- I shudder to think it, it's too it's too emotional for me to continue. <laughs> <laughs> so we hit Brent with question number three. you know, you everybody knows the whole, you know, crux of Strike Force Moratory is that our heroes have exactly one year to live. So I asked him about character deaths. I said one of the key elements to Strike Force Moratory was the fact that no one was safe. Main characters were being killed off in the first few issues of the book, including, our good man Harold, who many consider mm-hmm. to this day the main character. What can you tell us about this concept? Was it a collaboration between you and Mr. Gillis? Did you know well in advance the plan for all character deaths, or were you surprised as you were passed each script to each to the draft? You know, was there any reaction that you recall to the books, the calling of characters so early in the run? Fan reaction, question mark? Mm-hmm. And boy. He gave us the goods. Ooh, we
0: get some good stuff here. Now, Brent would say the mortality of the moratorium was a unique salient feature of the series and lay at its thematic core and would play a big role in the series' ending and denouement, which Peter had planned for the 50th issue. The overall main story was really about Blackthorn and her baby, not the Chronicles of Viking, the hero. Unfortunately, love that. Oh, totally. I love that.
1: So good. Continue. Totally.
0: Unfortunately, and we couldn't have predicted this, as the launch characters died, one by one, sales dropped with each issue. Wow. wow. We realized after the fact that readers don't lightly switch loyalties from one character to another that easily. And, I mean, we're reading this for the second or third time, you know, 30 years later, and we felt the same way when we saw the freshmen show up. Oh yeah. When Will, when Will and Toxin and Pilar showed up, we're like, oh, we don't want these people. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. We hate these people.
1: We had loyalty, and and there was totally. I think the the strength was that the characters were so well realized, yes. you know, on that page with the writing and the art. Oh yeah. That you you know we, we just fell in love with them, you know what I mean? And just mm. to see them die so quickly. I mean, Harold, who we thought you know was the centerpiece of the yep. of the entire book. Just, I mean, he gets killed off early, early on. You get Lorna, Snapdragon, who's dead in issue four. I mean, yep. we don't, we don't really get a chance to, you know, to enjoy them too long, and they're taken away. So, exactly. But, but he continues.
0: He does. He says, "I guess their attitude was, there, the fans' attitude was, don't change horses in the middle of the stream." In alluding, Strikeforce Moratory was apparently an ongoing monthly series that had an ending ready from the very beginning, but not cluing the readers in in some way was our biggest mistake. So with the death of their favorite character, each reader was done with the series and moved on. And without monthly sales, there was no way we could get to our 50th Denouement issue. In retrospect, and under the publishing conditions at the time, Strikeforce Mortuary should have been a long graphic novel. Unfortunately, Marvel's graphic novel line wasn't doing that well, and they were only 64 pages long. Peter and I would have needed to take the project to another publisher if we wanted to go the long graphic novel route.
1: Man, can you imagine? I, yes. I would have loved to see what that looked like, but you know what? I'm, I'm glad we did get the 30-some-odd issues that we did get. Don't get me wrong, but uh, just imagine one, you know, one long piece. That would have been incredible. Wow. I
0: remember, you remember like 10 years ago, uh, they started bringing back – this is these are all X books here um, that they were started bringing back original creators and having them write on as though they never left. You know, you had oh yeah, you had X Men Forever, so it was basically what if Chris Claremont never left the X Men? You know, so he yep. picked up where he left off. You had New Mutants Forever, X Factor Forever. Could you imagine a Strike Force Moratory Forever, where <laughs> we get we get like the what Gillis and Anderson would have wanted for issue 21 and on. I mean oh,
1: it would be like the Anderson cut.
0: Oh, could you imagine?
1: <laughs> it would be amazing. One of
0: one of us need to win the lottery like quick.
1: Right? Oh yeah, we're going we're going to find uh we're going to find uh Peter and uh and Brandon. We're going to pay them big money to uh to do see through to their do vision their
0: last, do do their do their last 30 issues. Yes. Oh
1: man, so good. <laughs> so I continued on. I asked him about his inspirations. I said, your ability to emote what a character was feeling was the hallmark of your work. And boy, it was it ever, you know, some of the panels, especially the ones surrounding a character's reaction to death were particularly lifelike. Were there any character designs inspired by real people, celebrities, random people, other comic book characters, or were they just your originals? When drawing a face for the, for example, what was your process to capturing the realism that resonates throughout his work because I mean, you take a look at some of these close-up shots, Chris. Oh, I mean, no. they are it's it's life jumping off the page Gorgeous. and man, that's what uh, that's what Brent I mean, really really brought to this book was a real vibe that these felt like real people and mm-hmm. we'll come to find out they actually were. But anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> I continued I said, who were your creative inspirations among your peers in the industry? Anyone that sticks out that you truly learn from, that influenced your style, that you bring to the table? And he hit us up with He says Beth
0: Louise Neon, the Moratory Project Commander, was loosely based visually on my mom.
1: Yes. How about that, that is awesome. awesome.
0: <laughs> the only the only other character from the initial group so inspired by a real person was Neon's replacement, Yuri Por uh, Pupaga-
1: <laughs> Commander
0: <or less>. Yuri. <laughs> Commander Yuri was, and we we guessed this, Peter Gillis. It seemed fitting. That's Uh, awesome. Several of the replacement Moratori, Toxin, Scatterbrain, Wildcard, and Hardcase were visually based on real people, loyal Moratori fans, and personal friends who'd stayed with the series. They were costumers and helped me design the costumes for each character. Thank you, Robin, Bill, Pat, and Randy.
1: Wow, that's awesome. Isn't it? Uh, Wildcard was a real person. I I just, I'd love to thought of that. That's wild, isn't it?
0: (laughs) No pun intended. No pun intended. He's a
1: Hamadasha
0: Uh, for Christ's sakes. He is. Uh, Importing, imparting an emotional reality to my characters has always been a primary goal for me in drawing comics. Before I got into comics, my two main influences were the Saturday evening post-illustrator Norman Rockwell and all Walt Disney animation. This explains a lot. As for the comic book artists who inspired me to focus on emotional content, they are plentiful. The initial artists were Mort Drucker and others from Mad Magazine, Jack, F- Jack Fantastic Four Kirby and John Spider Man Romita from Marvel, and Neil Adams, first for his Dead Man work at DC and later his X Men and Avengers work at Marvel.
1: <laughs> so basically, his inspirations were, you know, just the all time greats, greats. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no big deal, just the greats. Including himself. Well, Absolutely. wow. Wow, was all I have to say about this.
0: Uh, amazing information thank you so much for uh, for taking the time brent and uh next week we'll have more from brent here and we'll be discussing you know a lot of the stuff uh about the, you know, the other end of moratorium here, the the decisions to leave, um the you know, all that kind of stuff. And we'll also wrap up the uh, the Brent Anderson bio with his Life and Times post Strike Force moratorium. So we'll hear all we'll talk all about Astro City and then some. So it's gonna be a good time. I'm I'm already looking forward to it. So that's gonna oh, be Oh man, this was really super fun. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you,
1: thank you, thank you, Mr. Anderson, for taking the time to uh, answer our emails, our, our multiple emails that, uh, <laughs> that I feel we, we bombarded the gentleman with. But, uh, you know, Brent Anderson was super cool, and totally. uh, we cannot thank you enough. And I'm sure our listenership here on Moratory Mondays uh, will feel the same. And uh, I can't wait to uh, let the folks know what the answers to the second half of this Q&A are, because it gets really good, folks. So mm-hmm. stay 100%. tuned.
0: <laughs> but... Let's, uh, let's get to uh let's get to today's issue here this is of course the penultimate monthly issue of strike force Mortuary, issue number 30 at a June 1989 cover date the story is called getting it written by James D Hudnall with pencils by mark Bagley inks by Carlos garzon letters Phil Felix colors max Scheele. edits Carl potts the chief is da- Tom devalco uh, cover price 150 usD 2 can 50p uk. Uh, on sale date February seventh, nineteen
1: eighty nine. You're on the on the cusp of the nineties here. We are almost We're there, Chris.
0: There. We are getting there, and I think I think uh, Electric Undertow might end in nineteen ninety. So we will break into that next uh, that next decade here. Oh uh, right. And uh, we do have a solicit that doesn't really ruin the whole story. So we'll read it now. It goes something like this: The Earth's government is in disarray. The moratorium are in total disgrace. A coup d'état is moments away. But will the seizure of power mean worldwide stability or a global civil war? And uh, our cover, not the greatest. Um, mm, by not, Mark not Bagley. My favorite. No, yep. it's um, we got the wind without his mask on, and he's rushing through some Padilla soldiers on a very very pink background. Um, <laughs> Now the copy reads and this is the most interesting part of the cover to us here and they call the wind trademark death so i guess they trademarked the wind
1: how do you trademark the wind i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna file a trademark for uh, the rain it's like trademarking the door or the tv <laughs> like how do you trademark the weather that? yeah <laughs> <laughs> like it's not even like it's spelled funny like w y n d or something sure. strange like that no no it's the wind i wonder do they still hold that trademark that's that's something i'd like to really like to know <laughs> we should have looked that up <laughs> we talk about low-hanging fruit who would have thought to trademark the wind yeah I don't know. Anyway, this cover, let's talk about this cover. So, yes. like you said, it's the Wind and this guy, he's barreling through and I mean like at supersonic speed the Pydean soldiers, okay? I mean, he's cleaning house. And uh if you if you look at the Wind's character design, it's almost like he has this uh how would how would you describe? It's almost like he has fur on his wrists and on his boots so he's almost got like an ultimate warrior type thing going on like he's he's decked off and this stuff is like you know it's careening in the wind and he's blasting through it but you know it's a pink and white cover and it's really i don't know it's sort of off-putting to me it's, it gives me a weird vibe and I, even though i like the corner box because dan the scan mr scanner got his own corner box which is ultra cool but it seems kind of empty like it seems like. There's a lot of space not used here. You know what I mean? It's cool, it's but it's, it's just almost empty. Like, wouldn't you bulk Dan up a bit or something or make the heads bigger? I don't know. I'm just I'm just talking. I it looks unfinished. Here. Yeah, it looks yes, unfinished it
0: does. for sure. Um, but beyond the cover, we have a story. And, uh, we, well, you know, actually, before we open, let's talk for a minute about the narration captions we're going to be seeing throughout this issue. Yes. Now, sometimes they're going to be from the point of view of Fake Ass Lamont. Other times, they're going to be from revenge or another moratorium. This, however, is not made abundantly clear, and so this doesn't make for the easiest of reads all the time.
1: No, uh, I, had to, I had to literally go back and, you know, okay, who's saying this? You yeah. know, who, who's framing this? And then you go, okay, no, this is revenge now. Oh, nope, we're back to Lamont. Nope, nope. It's true. and so now, it's
0: We're going to do our best to play it straight, but we wouldn't be doing our part as nitpickers if we didn't point this out. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Into the story here we open with Lamont Narrating and uh, he's Got himself in a cherry position right where he Doesn't care a whit if the moratori survive Or not because if they do They're going to be blamed for the terrorist acts If they don't well they'll be dead And out of the way so no big deal <laughs> Now we Shift over to revenge who picks up from Le- Lamont's narration in the same damn Panel uh, he's facing Off with those gaggle of Padilla from the Cliffhanger last issue and he takes a lot of their incoming fire however when the baddies start firing actual missiles in his direction he decides to beat a hasty retreat
1: this is really weird so i'm confused here so at first they're shooting standard bullets okay yeah so we know and they know that this is not actually going to hurt revenge they know he's going to be able to deflect or at least you know be able to offset those things they ought know to know mean? yeah Yes, so this is basically a media stunt. They're just yes. here to say that, you know, they're on the hunt for this guy who committed these atrocities. So they're basically trying to frame revenge for, you know, trashing the train and all, all the different things that are happening, you know what I mean, that the killers are doing. So, you know, he's getting to blame for it, so they're shooting fake bullets at him. Mm-hmm. Yet... You know, with the Pidea, they're capturing their own video. So they're 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 altering the news, Chris. So, you know, yeah. they're doing their own filming. They're not allowing, you know, any media in, only their own. So they're going to film and make this exactly how they want to present it. But then they start firing missiles at the guy. So, yep. where you know, where do we shift gears here? Suddenly, what is it? You just get your news footage and like, okay, we got enough. We got enough film here, Bobby. Let's uh, put them down. This. <laughs> Put the bastard down! Yeah, so it's really, it's really odd. So you know, why fake it up in the beginning, only to shift ways, you know, shift gears Part way through and just blow the guy off the earth? You know what I mean? It's sort Seems of, weird, sort of odd yeah. there. Yeah,
0: hmm. it's true. Uh, yeah, it, it goes all into that whole spin cycle that they're doing with their, with their footage. But it's just so, so bizarre, so bizarre. Um, now our man he does go running, and as luck would have it, he runs right into his teammates uh they they fly off toward the horizon and attempt to put some space between them and their pursuers
1: and lifter, God bless her, actually lifts something of benefit what? and actually <laughs> saves Jason she actually <laughs> does something we got we got lifter doing something even though she couldn't save shear you no. know she <laughs> not that her. His fall. yes not, not the fact that he had his Air to Gucci's on the whole time you know you know we we're we're not going back there <laughs> but you know. She managed to save Jason, so I guess she likes Jason, Chris. I think she's selective in her lifts.
0: It's very possible. It's very po- <laughs> we might we might be we might be on on our way to a moratory double date here with these uh, this foursome. Uh, <laughs> now Tam von Ock watches as the moratory flee but does nothing to stop them. Now, instead, he's going to pay a visit to Vic West, the man with the ill-fitting suit, to discuss the lies he and his fellow killer moratory were fed upon agreeing to undergo the moratory process. Remember, they said that was in the bag, and uh, they find out later that maybe not so much. Uh, Worth noting, as he pulls away, we see that the Padilla forces are, as you mentioned earlier, not allowing any members of the press anywhere near the blowed-up bridge.
1: You know why? You know what we call this? You know what we call this in 2020? This is fake news, okay? This is fake news, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the idea, they're literally controlling the narrative. You know what yes, I mean? And totally. if this was 2020, I wonder – who they who they would have put as the Pythian bad guy here? I wonder what his oh, hairstyle boy. would be. I don't know. I'm just guessing, speaking mm. out loud. But I, I got a funny feeling. I know. But anyway, I digress. Yeah, we'll you we'll know. just leave that there. <laughs> we'll we'll leave that. That's low hanging fruit, you know. <laughs> we'll leave that it, for other shows. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, but anyway, they're doing their best to control this narrative. You know what I mean? Sure. They got revenge on the run, and they want to frame the moratorium. But like I said earlier, they're keeping all the other press out, so they mm. are keeping it only exclusive. To uh, you know the Paddy and Channel Five News. That's all they're doing. They're oh. locking this baby in.
0: Now Commander Wolf calls into Lamont to fill him in on what's gone down. He reports that the Moratori survived, and worse yet, they also got away. Now <laughs> Lam- Lamont is pretty ticked off, and he demands Wolf send gunships after the heroes. And Wolf informs Lamont that they don't got no more of those. So uh, sorry. <laughs> Uh, we rejoin the moratorium who are being still being hoisted by lifter
1: so i got i have a i have an obvious question here i guess hmm. so jason is wearing his air Degucci flying shoes is that correct that so agrees. he's able to fly correct mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so why does he need lifter to lift him would he not just be able to like fly upwards and just dodge the bullets or maybe they weren't waterproof maybe they were like swayed <laughs> you know those His suede shoes, fell in half they're yeah. no good no good i, tell you.
0: <laughs> I wonder if we're going to talk about anybody who sang about suede shoes sometimes
1: Oh, huh. oh. oh no, huh. you, know, you better not step on them is all i gotta say
0: uh, <laughs> yeah unless you're a hound dog um now they approach a nearby town where they decide to land now this will give lifter a rest and also give them some cover for the padilla jets that are in hot pursuit now somebody has already beaten the moratorium To this tiny town And his name is Trademark the wind
1: now, <laughs> You should keep saying that too Trademark the wind Because it's important They trademark the wind I think that that's like my second favorite Christopher Cross song Trademark the wind <laughs> he
0: got such I a long it. way to go Until he makes oh, it to great. the border of Mexico Oh um, that yacht rock Oh it's so good It's great Now he, we watch as uh, the wind Trademark the wind Prowls the alley And for good measure, he murders a couple of homeless men. Uh-oh. Uh, you know, they don't call him the homeless killer for nothing. Or I mean, alleged homeless killer.
1: <laughs> don't want to so,
0: get in trouble with the wind here.
1: Oh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I know that we questioned earlier. When they first introduced this character, uh, you know, he looked like he was framed by the Paidea. He was in jail, and, you know... There was a question of whether or not this guy was the homeless killer. He looked like he was in jail, possibly framed. You know what I mean? It seemed like a thing that the pioneer would do. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they hauled Jason. You know, Jason was caught for revenge. He was trapped aboard a Hordean ship, and they brought him down and basically coerced him to become a moratory. So it looked like this is exactly what was going on with Trademark the Wind. You know, (laughs) basically framed him as the homeless killer. But we come to find out that this guy... He, he definitely the killer <laughs> he is the yes. genuine article because <laughs> we got the photographic f- evidence <laughs> oh boy i mean the first poor homeless guy he kills he crushes the first person's head into a brick wall i mean yep. he just splatters this guy and the second guy doesn't get off lucky because he is just battered with his, like a series of like rapid fire fists i mean this mm-hmm. guy is just laying on the ground getting smoke with like fists to in here crazy
0: wild stuff here now the wind after murdering homeless people he finds a video payphone outside of a store called chloe's clothes so he can call into vic west he's informed that the moratories still live and that west has some new orders for him but i mean it's it's interesting here how many how many things that strike force Moratory, you know called about the then future you know <laughs> but but for some reason there are still payphones? Like video payphones no less. So they did upgrade the technology, but I mean, weren't cellular phones already a thing back in nineteen eighty nine? I'm pretty sure Zach Morris had one.
1: Yeah, man. This is this is crazy. Like you said, like a lot of the things that they've done, they managed to capture mm-hmm. back then. Sure. Things that things that actually came to be in the future. The net, the e-readers, yeah. Yes, yeah. The the local net, for example, it it happened. This happened, folks. However, (laughs) nope, we're still in the video payphone era. So (laughs) you know they sort of got it half right with video conferencing because you know it's a thing that people do, including us, pay right now, minus the video. But you know this image really caught me funny. Like, can you imagine? I I can't anyway. (laughs) Using a payphone in 2020. Would you? Would you even bother? No.
0: No, no, especially with like all the germs now, I wouldn't touch one. That's but, what uh, I mean.
1: And I mean think about <laughs> that. Think about how we used to do it. I mean, you used to get a quarter, used to put mm-hmm. that thing, and you would literally have have that phone. You would not wipe it down, you would put that right amongst your right ear. Up your and like, yep. It was like sometimes that receiver is banging off your lip. I mean, this was oh. this is gross thinking back. I'm ready to <laughs> I'm ready to puke. Gross. But I mean this tech has completely passed us by. You talk about things that just, you know, went away, you know, with the dinosaur. Payphones are definitely one. And mm-hmm. I recall, like like I said, I, I, you know, I'm a retail manager, but I can recall the day that they removed the payphone. And you know what my first, yeah, you know what my first thought was when I heard this, when I saw this, actually?
0: That, that you wouldn't be able to put your finger in the thing to get the quarterback <laughs> out, check every time you walk past?
1: Well, that's one. But num- <laughs> number one was, I didn't realize my store had a payphone. <laughs> I was like, wait a second, I worked here for four and a half years, and you're removing a payphone I didn't know existed. <laughs> hey, leave my payphone. Wait, we had a payphone? <laughs> Oh man, can I, I got to tell you something So sure. pay phones were a thing that, you know If you didn't have money, it didn't matter So I I was very creative If I didn't have money as a kid, I found ways to make stuff work mm-hmm. So here, you could pick up a pay phone And you can call home collect mm-hmm. Okay, so you'd call the operator and say Hey, I'd like to talk to, you know, you know Mom Bailey, <laughs> for example And uh, they would connect us So the number would dial And it would say, you know, my mom would pick up and it would say, Except "You have charge. a collect." Yeah, you have a collect call from Chris Bailey. Would you like to accept the charges? And I would go, "Mom, I'm at the stadium. I need to be picked up." And she would go, "Okay," and then we'd hang up. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that was just, you know, that's that's a saving money. That's a life hack right there, folks. There you go.
0: <laughs> there were. Uh, I remember, like, when I was in high school, like you wouldn't always get a live operator when you called collect. Sometimes it would be like, you know, say your name. Yes, and uh Chris. and it and it would be like it would be like, I'm at Chuck's house. And, <laughs> and yeah, exactly. it's like you have a collect call from yep. I'm at Chuck's house. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I, I so remember like cool. my, my cousins had this little box that would make the sound of a quarter dropping into the receiver or into the machine. And uh like they <laughs> thought is. they were like freakers, you know, phone freakers. And uh we uh we found out this is the stupidest story. We found out that Smashing Pumpkins was coming to like the Nassau Coliseum, and okay. we wanted to see the Smashing Pumpkins, but we were broke. We had no money, so he would go to every payphone in the town, and he would like make it sound like he was putting coins in there while he was talking to the operator, and and he would say like, oh, you know, he changed his mind on the call, and they would like send coins back out somehow. No, it was yes. It was like the most insane thing I mean like you would spend Like a week and make like a dollar Fifty but it was just, <laughs> It was just a well done Thing but oh, uh, man, It's so great.
1: weird that you were able to do that kind of thing It was, uh well we would have been All about that as kids oh <laughs> man We would have took that we would have took Newtel to the cleaners here <laughs> uh, you, Unicef you're off the hook <laughs> <laughs> I gotta hey, fill hey, this that Columbia house over there Yeah <laughs> Don't mention Columbia House We we, we agreed never to talk about that again (laughs) This is true, I apologize
0: Oh boy, now, we rejoin Lamont And he gets a worried video call from his wife Now she's concerned because she's heard all about the terrorist attacks And Lamont blames the whole thing on Jason Edwards
1: Lying to his wife, why that no good son of a Unnamed Mm goat.
0: Now, let's check in with old Jay in that little town, our man Dan the Scan fills revenge in on his most recent visit from Will DeGucci. And Jason ain't exactly buying it. Remember, DiGucci's been quote-unquote dead for like eight issues now.
1: Oh, man, good call. Dan is looking mighty weird, though. I'm going to say that. <laughs> he I mean, looks he like should, a lunatic. Yes, he just keeps revealing like bits and pieces of Will's story when it, you know, sort of is convenient for him. But think you about know, it. How should we even have all this information that Dan's got? Every single time he remembers his conversation, something is added. It's almost like he's lying to himself in his head and just <laughs> creating like Toguchi adding on narrative. You know what I mean, or changing it. But I mean, seriously, come on. He literally could have saved everyone the trouble of this whole ordeal where we are right now if he had just been upfront with the team. Yep. You know what I mean? <laughs> and what I find is that it's interesting. Is that do you notice that there's no mention of the others? No, there isn't. Nothing. So that's dropped like a hot rock. You know, I guess that you know has been dropped altogether. But think about it. This begs the question. You know, why even change? You know, the idea of the others to mean the vaccines when you can just say that it's the paidea That's weird. You know,
0: I haven't flipped through our next issue yet. I want. I wonder if we see. Uh, are, are the vaccines gone? I mean, they've been yeah. gone for. This yeah, what is they- issue thirty. They left issue what twenty six.
1: Yep, they just dropped in. Okay, we took care of that horde for you. Enjoy. Oh boy.
0: Man. Now, uh, ugh. now Dan, he says he can't explain it, but he does say that everything that Deguchi told him makes sense. Uh, he shares Will's latest warning, which you know he, which he had while he was unconscious in a waterlogged train, uh, the waterlogged super train. Super train. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he also says that it's going to be up to them to save Aunt May. Now, speaking of She does Uh, Speaking of Prime Minister Aunt May Let's check in with her Now, she gets a call from Lamont Who is still pressing hard That the moratory have gone rogue Aunt May doesn't believe it Now, elsewhere Vic West is giving the Trademark the Wind the orders to Well, kill Aunt May And uh, the Wind assures his man That the old biddy's as good as dead Oh
1: here we go again poor aunt may once again chris (laughs) she doesn't she doesn't have a prayer god bless her heart i mean think about it this feeble old woman i mean she's got (laughs) no business anyway running the world government okay let's put that on the table it's aunt may guys it is literally aunt may i don't care (laughs) you can call her whatever this is aunt may i
0: don't even know her real name
1: (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't matter may (laughs) parker that's who we're talking about here anyway I mean, seriously, have even we defined what the world is at this point? No. You know, I, I don't think we know, because they never really was clear on, you know, what is left standing after the Horde invasion. You know what I mean? Maybe I'm thinking this, you know, you know, <laughs> overthinking this. You know what I mean? How much did the Horde, I mean, we've seen them drop nukes on places. Sure. But so what's still standing? Who knows? Yeah. Who cares? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just speaking, you know.
0: <laughs> now, after Trademark the Wind zips out, West calls into Lamont, and together they chat openly about screwing the killer moratory over with their phony promise of a cure. Boy. Well, when one of your killers has the power of invisibility, you might just wanna <laughs> watch your tongue. That's right, Tam Vonak is in the room with Vic. Oh, bummer for Vic. And once the call ends,
1: well, Tam Von Ock kills Vic West. <laughs> can you imagine? Like, there's a lot of killing with people's head being driven into walls. Did you That's notice that That's move, isn't it? Yeah. Like, like <laughs> does nobody punch anybody anymore or hit them with an object or stab them? No, no. Nope. They're getting their head driven through a wall. Like, yep. can we just, like, clear a bar top? You know what I mean? Make, you know, <laughs> grab someone by the back of the pants, slide them across a bar, break walls, something? No, no. Nope. Head That's through all, the wall. That's the way we kill people here at wall. Moratory Land. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we jump back to the little town And the moratory decides to break into Chloe's clothes To steal some less conspicuous threads
1: <laughs> I need everybody to pull out their issue When they're pulling out oh these threads God. Because there is nothing less <laughs> conspicuous About what the hell Jason is wearing here So he grabs a powder blue tank top mm-hmm. and has this weird hang down in the middle I don't even know how to describe it and then he puts on, like, these pair of, like, almost, like, Zubaz leggings. total. <laughs> like, almost like that you'd see, like, you know, like, fabletics or something that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that that a woman would wear working out. I mean, were there no, like, men's clothes in this store outside of what Dan has on, which is basically a trench coat? But, yeah, even, yeah even that being said, you know, how inconspicuous can you look going around with a trench coat, let's be honest. Yeah, no doubt oh out. man this is this is oh this is so funny
0: hilarious and we have uh we have burn taking her outfit off here and uh we see some cleavage on burn which
1: uh, we, we, don't in, uh we, don't see, we don't see much of that
0: we don't see much of that more toyland land um <laughs> now inside the place we see a poster for elvis's 1999 comeback
1: tour so oh. elvis lives now, is this an old poster at this point? Because, you know, I think we're well oh, beyond, probably. you know, 99, which is on the poster. So by rights, he could be literally reborn and dead again, you know, give, <laughs> giving the date on that poster. He died but, three more times, yes. I think we need to talk some Elvis here. Let's do this here because
0: – uh You know back to the cosmic treadmill If if folks listen to that they might remember The segment that we would close out every episode With we called it affectionately The hook where we would tie whatever we were Reading into a real world thing Some weird history from the world Or just something that would interest us And uh, we Had a plan to read a book called The King by uh, Rich Kozlowski Uh, It was about Elvis Had he not died because I really wanted to talk about the whole Is Elvis alive thing yes and uh so i'm gonna shoehorn it in here (laughs) we're gonna talk (laughs) about it right now (laughs) now before we get into it i've never been a huge elvis fan and the only time i really make a point of listening to elvis is around christmas time
1: oh yeah me too baby oh absolutely but the christmas oh Oh, 100 100%. that that would that that defined my childhood man listening to that you know you know you know everybody knows sing along everybody Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> one of the greatest. Now, the idea
0: that Elvis didn't really die on August sixteenth, nineteen seventy seven is one that fascinated and terrified me ever since I first heard it as a kid. Yes, it just always freaked me out. It was one of those things that like would just be under my skin. Uh <laughs> It seemed like we'd go through phases while I was growing up where Elvis's face would be on the cover of like every tabloid on the racks.
1: All over and they were everywhere. So I mean, everywhere. you'd see him in every different version of him, you know what I mean? You'd mm-hmm. see him like in disguise with a beard yep. or you'd, you know, you'd see him with an extra big pair of sunglasses or those or with sideburns extra terrestrial. Yes. El- <laughs> with an extra terrestrial <laughs> or they would they would have him like in disguise. So they would have him like yep. almost dressed like a lady or then you would have him like with with gray hair to make him look aged to say sure. that, you know. Look, we found him
0: <laughs> Oh man. And like the deaths or non-deaths of like Elvis and Marilyn Monroe would keep me up at night. I, I was a very weird child, but just any sort of like ambiguity about death freaked me out. And uh I mean there would be all these bits that you'd hear about with like Elvis looking like a wax statue in his casket. You know, uh, the thing where his middle name was spelt wrong on his tombstone, uh, you know, Elvis's own cousin, Gene Smith would raise questions about the way the waxy Elvis. <laughs> That's crazy. And, and he even like went on this whole sidebar about the sideburns. He's like, the sideburns weren't quite right. And that, that was like his proof that this wasn't, this is his own cousin. And I mean. The misspelling of Aaron is a weird goof, but not not so much to hang your head on. But I guess if you really want to see something, you will.
1: Oh yeah, oh god, yeah. I mean, sure. I, I I need to believe that this man is still alive. <laughs> yes, I I got by hook or
0: by crook. I got to find out the hints, you know, the clues that are right before our faces. You know, and then I I watched this TV special, which I think we might have mentioned here a time or two on the show, yeah. but it was uh, called The Elvis Files in 1991, and it was hosted by the Incredible Hulk. Or Bruce Banner or Bill Bixby. Uh
1: man, now, like he was and not only that, Bixby was like super creepy in this one too. Yes. Oh yeah. man. He reminds like me he, of like Gordon Solie a little bit. <laughs> Very strange. Uh, <laughs> that's not a good thing. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, well, maybe it is. <laughs> I don't mean to I don't mean to cast dispersions on the late I'm Gordon Soly, but, <laughs> but but I mean anyway, continue. <laughs>
0: Now the gist of this Elvis file, file special was that Elvis grew tired of being famous and so he signed up to be an undercover federal agent. <laughs> <laughs> agent now, he, Presley, Agent Elvis. Now oh. he would then get a little too close to under 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 uh, undercovering some big mafia deals and so the feds decided it was best to stage Elvis's death. Oh, After this, he told After this, the king would leave the country and live out the rest of his days under an assumed name slash identity. (laughs) And I mean, this is actually a story that people could believe because Elvis was an honorary DEA agent or whatever the DEA was being called back in the mid-70s. And then there was also that iconic photo of Elvis shaking then-president Richard Nixon's hand, uh, unless, of course, it was just Rich Little doing his impression. no! I am not (laughs) a uh, I'm Richard Nixon. Um, that
1: is amazing. Good job, Rich Little. You know, you've made an entire career out of that one impression. Well
0: done. Now I remember this uh this TV special. It, well, it, it didn't really make me believe that Elvis was still alive, but it made me want to believe that he was. Yeah. Because I thought it would be so interesting to live in a time where one of the most famous people on earth would and could fake their own death. And then potentially eventually reveal that they were still alive. I mean, one thing about me, I, I don't get I don't get affected by things like celebrity deaths. The closest I like, I'm not going to curse 2016 like like people do online, but uh, the closest I get are pro
1: wrestler deaths. Oh, and yeah. uh, those always uh, hit me, man. Some for sure. Not- we grew up watching it so i mean you know these are basically people you've grown up with and you know mm-hmm. spent a lot of time and devoted a lot of energy to and you know the fact that they're dead and i'm sure like a lot of people felt the same way about elvis you know
0: sure and i'd be lying like talking about wrestling here if every time a wrestler is announced as t- passing away for like a split second i kind of have this weird hope that it's all yep. part of the show you know yes sir like I want to believe that, you know, halfway in the second hour of Raw, Owen Hart's gonna come out, you know, and be like,
1: you imagine.
0: Swerve, brother, it's a swerve. Like Eddie Guerrero, whose whole gimmick was Eddie lied. You know, yep. it's like, here I am. And like I you, your party wants to believe that. And and so with Elvis here, it's like, who bigger, you know, than Elvis? So I, I actually tried watching the Bixby Elvis files again, and, uh, <laughs> it <sucks. laughs> and it didn't have the same effect as it did on me when I was 11. Uh, but what I didn't know then was that the Elvis files TV special was based on a book with the same name. Now, this was, that. yeah, no, this was the Elvis files colon was his death faked. And it was written by Gail Brewer and was published in 1990. This was a follow up to her 1988 book and audio combo is Elvis Alive, which was originally titled The Most Incredible Elvis Presley Story Ever Told. So, nice. Now this book actually raised so many questions about whether or not Elvis was still alive that it allegedly delayed putting Elvis's face on a United States postage stamp until 1993
1: wow they were they were you know some convincing people there
0: it's like to be on a u.s stamp you have to be dead for 10 years so elvis would have been under consideration for a stamp around 1987 1988 but this book made people question whether or not he was dead so they pushed it off Um, now back to the is elvis alive Uh, which as mentioned was a book and cassette tape combo the cassette tape claimed to contain an actual post-1977 interview with the man himself. I believe it was dated what? 1991. Yes, yes, you can actually listen to an interview, and I think this is online. You can you can find it online. The is Elvis alive tape. Oh, um, I
1: have to find this.
0: Yeah, because I listened to a, a good deal of it, and it's some of it's hard to understand because like they did a pretty good job like making Elvis sound like muffled. But uh, in this tape, Elvis reveals that after his death, he just moved to Hawaii. Um, <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> where, where he's recognized on a near regular basis, but everybody there is so cool, they don't make a big deal out of it. Oh, he, come on. He also promises to continue making music, uh, but for the love of it. And he also says he still gets fan mail.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so somebody's figured out his Hawaiian address.
0: And they're forwarding it. Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe everything that gets sent to Graceland is just, like, forwarded back to, like, the the, the (laughs) DEA, then through Richard Nixon, and then to Elvis. Um, To
1: 101 Blue Hawaii. (laughs) There it is.
0: <laughs> Care of Mary Tullamore. um <laughs> A voice analysis was said to have been done on the recordings that confirmed that yes, this is the real deal. is talking. Oh so, my God! I guess this sort of scam was easier to do before the internet. You know, i, I, I there's kind of a charm to it. I miss I miss <laughs> those days.
1: <things. laughs> I love it.
0: Now, here's the thing we might want to know about Ms. Brewer Giorgio. She was a fiction writer who was. Perhaps best known for writing a little ditty called Orion, the Living Superstar of Song, published in 1981. Now, the book is about, well, we would say an Elvis-like superstar, but it's basically just Elvis with a different name. (laughs) Of course. Now, in the book, Orion, this big superstar, became too famous and saw the only way out of the limelight was to fake his own death. Now, Brewer Giorgio would say, uh, and we quote, The novel Orion began to write itself on the third day after the, quote, death of Elvis Presley. Now, while at the same time she claimed that she wasn't even a fan of Elvis, but she was just drawn into the media circus surrounding his passing. Now, Brewer Giorgio claims that once her book was published, it started getting mysteriously pulled from store shelves. Which prompted her to believe that maybe she touched a nerve, maybe she was uh, getting a little too close to the truth Ooh. she was telling a fiction that was too close to fact
1: there's, there's too much I'm too close to this, you need to remove it to pull it back,
0: <laughs> get it off the shelves
1: uh, <laughs> now Brewer get George it, get dude. it off the shelf baby <laughs>
0: you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna you're gonna tip my hand here. Uh, <laughs> Now, uh, Brewer Giorgio was advised to try turning her Orion book into a movie by a maybe friend acquaintance of Elvis several times removed. Someone who claimed to be friends with Elvis said, hey, make this a movie.
1: So, uh, Orion. This This all sounds 100% legit, by the way. Totally
0: does. Totally does. Now, (laughs) Orion wasn't just a book. Orion was a real, real fellow for a little while. We meet a country singer named Jimmy Elvis. He sounded a fair deal like Elvis, and uh, he would sometimes cover Elvis songs. Mm, one of those, indeed. isn't it? Isn't it? Now, one of those songs is "That's All Right," which was put out as an album back in the early '70s, without credit and without much fanfare. Following Elvis's death in 1977, this uncredited "That's All Right" album would be re-released, still without credit. Hmm. Yeah. Now this Orion manuscript that Brewer Giorgio wrote made its way throughout the music industry, which gave some executives a weird and exploitative idea. Jimmy Ellis would become Orion, complete with uh, like shoe polish-dyed Elvis-esque yes. hairdo. Yes, and a dollar-store Domino mask, so he like covered his eyes. The first album was called Orion Reborn, and uh, the cover art. Would you say it's pretty crazy?
1: Oh, man. I mean, wow. I mean, think about it. You got basically you have (laughs) Elvis in like a red jumpsuit. (laughs) Yep. He's wearing his dollar store red like (laughs) domino mask. He's got this stylish and, I mean, crazy ass uh, red cape. And he's is he like standing over a coffin, like his own coffin? He's standing over a casket with himself in it. (laughs) <laughs> yes queen So this they knew exactly
0: What they were doing here They they wanted people to think that Orion Was Elvis reborn Oh so Un- cool Unfortunately for Jimmy and the executives Nobody was buying it <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh well
0: now, Orion would release a bunch of albums And uh, nobody cared I- I find I'd buy this whole- that one though I would definitely for buy sure. an Orion album Just to have that yeah. on, I'd love to have that framed uh, I mean, this is like cartoon art. It's 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 a beautiful cover for as yes, surreal and weird bro. it is. Oh, totally. This is something you'd have airbrushed on the side of a van. Um, <laughs> now, absolutely. Now, like from twenty twenty point of view here, I find this whole thing totally fascinating. Uh, but i mean think about it like the gestalt of the time late 70s early 80s this is country music and people were probably more focused on like the kenny rogers or the dolly pardons of the day um orion himself jimmy ellis would eventually unmask on stage which revealed uh his gomer Pyle esque good looks uh, this was in 1983 he would uh He would later kind of sidestep the whole Elvis confusion aspect of the gimmick. He would say that the mask added flair and mystique, and not that he was trying to pass himself off as Elvis reborn. Um, Ellis would release more music under his own name for many years. Uh, He would actually, unfortunately, be killed on December 12th, 1998 in a pawn shop robbery. He uh, he owned the pawn shop robbery. Yeah, he owned the pawn shop. He was not one of the robbers. (laughs)
1: What a classic
0: dude. uh, Yeah. So, yeah, there's a a weird and out of nowhere Elvis lives sidebar. Uh, It makes me wonder if there was a Orion on Earth-1287,
1: you know? Oh, maybe that's where he disappeared to. Maybe
0: maybe this Elvis lives 1999 poster was actually Orion. (laughs) See.
1: Wow! Maybe yeah. this entire series was not about Aileen and her baby, it was all about Orion. Covering Orion. We just that's, never got to it. That's it. That's he's it. a Vaxian. The Vaxians <laughs> took him. It's a Vaxian
0: with a domino mask. <laughs> so yes, that was the, that was the whole purpose of ever even starting the Moratory Mondays program was to discuss Orion. <laughs> but uh,
1: we, we built to this moment right here. <laughs> We told you that it was Pandora's box opening up, and you were going to get some stuff you never saw before. Boy, did we just get it. The reveal. it. Elvis but, uh, lives, baby.
0: But now, back to our regularly scheduled Strike Force Moratory number 30.
1: Oh, oh, right, yes.
0: Yes. Uh, <clears throat> now, while yeah. our heroes get changed, Revenge asks Dan what their next course of action is. Now, our man Dan Scan's plan is they ought to turn themselves
1: in. Oh God! Leadership at its finest here. Oh, All literally. right, everybody, let's uh, let's give up. We're done. Mm-hmm. We're done. They're <laughs> throwing they're throwing stuff at us. They're shooting at us here. Uh, we're, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a bad start to the leadership game here, Dan. Oh, holy ding dong! Wow. Uh, this
0: way, Dan has a method to his madness. He figures this way they'll hopefully be able to get an audience with Aunt May to warn her about Fake Ass Lamont's sinister plot. Jason doesn't like the plan, but can't come up with a better one himself, so I guess they're gonna go with the only one they got. Anything is better than that one, <laughs> you think, right? <laughs> God, we uh, we rejoin Trademark the Wind at Fort at Fort Cherokee, home of the Padilla and Aunt May. He removes his helmet and tosses it off a hill before making his way toward the facility.
1: So I tried to use my head cannon to explain the whole purpose of the oh, helmet. I hope okay, because I couldn't good lord so we, this guy had plastic surgery to disguise yes. himself from the fact that he was a well-known serial killer so you know the PiDian government alleged didn't, serial killer yeah alleged serial killer the homeless <laughs> killer so the paidean government didn't want to visually you know have someone who was a well-known serial killer as part of their new moratory so they wanted to basically give him plastic surgery and have him don a mask you know and basically be hidden and do their bidding okay yes. even though he was a ruthless killer that was his whole idea we want a killer to kill the moratory so they got the ultimate serial killer the homeless killer and put mm. him in a mask and gave him plastic surgery now he's a speedster okay so he's on the level of the flash yes. so i explained that he goes at such high velocity that he requires this mask as a, as a breathing apparatus like a, you know what i mean yeah, a ventilating a ventilation yeah, it's, device yeah. it's a ventilation device so now he's already had plastic surgery i thought he was using it as a ventilation device now he just throws the mask away so the whole That's helmet it. thing served no purpose it was a dumb mask anyway and it changed the look of the mask has changed about five to six times in the entire <laughs> take a look at it here and take a look at it on the cover a few issues back with when, when he introduced the killers this this the he must have like a, a series of this different is helmets. tuesday helmet yes Yes, but I mean, I mean, the surgery clearly has worked because, I mean, he's changed his face to someone completely new. Like, I mean, and it's just a strange look we got here.
0: And he actually looks like he had a lot of facial plastic surgery. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: he's stretched he went to Axel
1: Rose's surgeon. He is like wound up. <laughs> he is stretched tight. He's uh, he, can, he can barely talk. He talks to his mouth like this. This is how tight it is. <laughs> I love it.
0: <laughs> Now, at this very moment, the moratorium are getting onto the freeway, and they figure they'll arrive at Cherokee within a couple hours, but will that be soon enough?
1: Probably not. Oh, boy. So we're getting a glimpse here as well as how transportation works in the future. So, you know, they're using these flying cars. You know, everybody thinks of the future. You think, hey, flying cars, we can't wait to get there. Now, And video (laughs) payphones. And video payphones. Here we see a combination of wheeled and flying cars. So the flying cars are actually on this cool idea. They're on what's called invisible mag rails or magnetic track systems. Now, you can't see them. But the cars are on a track, so it appears that they're flying, but it's a magnetic flying mag car, okay? Really, really weird. Now, none of this has ever been explained, which makes me wonder why the moratorium were, you know, why were they sent via snail mail across the country on, like, a stationary train? Very true. But, Very I mean, true. think about it. So, the Paidea was was dead set about slowing them down or keeping them, you know, in the media and all that type of stuff. So, I guess they never gave them the, the option to, you know, use the hypersonic jet. Nah, let's take the old slow train around the countryside. <laughs> totally, well done. Totally. Well done. <laughs> I guess now catering was better on the train. I'm sure it was. It was
0: a super train after all. Super train! Yep. <laughs> Now, trademark the wind literally bursts his way through the guard shack outside the fort and fights his way all the way to Ma- Aunt May's office. Aunt May is all, "Oh dear!" before reaching into her reaching into her purse for a pistol in hope of defending herself. But that's not going to stop our killer, trademark the wind. He flips her off his light switch off like a true psychopath and kills the old broad with his bare hands. He probably bashed her head into a wall. I'm guessing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so now the wind, trademark the wind, uh, murders defenseless old ladies with his bare hands. This is one crazy mofo here, brother. I mean, think about it. I mean, holy cow, this is a brutal death. Like, oh, I mean, yeah. it's. Scary. I got a, yeah. I've got a great idea, and I want to pitch this, okay? Mm-hmm. Next pitch force moratorium, maybe, maybe. I'm, I'm not promising this one. Okay. Uh, strike force moratorium, one more day. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> We need Mephisto That's a winner uh, That's a winner folks
0: <laughs> I wonder I wonder what, what relationship Are we going to have to give up to get that
1: <laughs> Oh we. Oui, to oui. oh, It's,
0: it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a time uh, Now moments later Lamont gets an urgent call Informing him of the Prime Minister's assassination With a warning that Hey you know what These bad guys are taking out the big wigs You might be next Naturally he's not all that bothered And that's where we leave things with just one issue to go
1: oh, man i don't want it to end bro why oh, why only one issue like oh
0: anyway Yeah, well we're, we're gonna find out a little bit about why it's only one more issue in just a little bit here but another solid issue um yeah man definitely I, i'm trying to reconcile in my i mean of course this isn't gillis and anderson we know that We c- we accept that but the absolute like dismissal of these uh last 10 issues or 11 issues i just don't understand outside of issue 21 of course i just don't understand it
1: the overwhelming it's- you know knee-jerk despisal and hatred of these books i'm gonna give hudnell credit so not only did mm. he pay off everything in the gillis and anderson run but he created his own his own his own self-contained story yeah. like he could literally do his two trades like he almost wrote for the trade here bro you know what sure. i mean like he's got his own thing going on here and it's good good stuff and like i said uh, you know both of us before we reread this whole thing and i'm glad that we did a slow burn and reread it issue for issue just before the show that is the way to do it because you know it was like reading this book again for the first time and uh, man these issues like bypassed me as a kid these are so good so good and this one was great too i mean think Mm -hmm. about it you had you know the Paidea stepping up their game. They're coming after. They're trying to frame revenge uh, you know, for everything that's going on, the killer moratorium. Uh, and we get to see Tam Van who discovers you know, the secret of the Paidea. So now, all of a sudden, we got killer moratorium who are attacking the world government. They kill Aunt mm-hmm. May. We've also got them killing the Pidea. so now the only one we got left is the Tiger. Where's he fitting all this? So, yep. you know, more we got Moratory gone row. we got Moratory on the run, we got everything. This thing is blowing up, and I can't wait to find out. And will we ever see the vaccines Who knows? Tune in <laughs> <That's>, next week. <laughs> that's a good question here, but uh, no, this was a this is a great issue. I'm really really enjoying
0: this. Um, you know, expectations were low, and uh, this I don't even want to say that this is good just because we had low expectations this is just good this um, is just good yeah i would i would buy trades of this 100 right now oh for sure for sure absolutely 100 but uh yes we will wrap the uh monthly adventures and exploits of strike force moratory up next episode but before we go we got a letters page no way Hudnall found feminist bag of mail he found the bag of mail i love it and uh as usual You know, for the Hudnall run, we open with a missive from James Hudnall. He comes to (laughs) us with dire. Yes, he comes to us with dire, but not unexpected news. He says the following. As you may have heard, this book will end with issue number 31. But have no fear. Strikeforce Moratory will live on in a new 48-page bookshelf format. It's the same format as Havoc and Wolverine or Akira. The team of Hudnall, Bagley, and Garzon will be staying together for it. The story takes place 10 years after the end of number 31, when the surviving moratori have gone their separate ways. Dan Baker, spoiler alert, is haunted by a ghost from the past and by events that are tearing the world apart.
1: He's always haunted by a ghost of the past. Always.
0: I wonder if it'll be the same ghost. (laughs) Now, the moratori come together for the ultimate battle. You can't miss this series. Oh, and by the way, we still need more letters (laughs) with about a dozen exclamation points. How about it, folks? Let's hear from you. We love to keep in touch with our readers. Then plug. Keep your eyes peeled for Interface, my new series from Epic. It's based on the old series Espers when features the eye-popping fully painted artwork of British artist Paul Johnson. The book should be out by mid-1989. I've also got a graphic novel forthcoming from Marvel called The Agent. The artist John Ridgway, and having been a fan of his for some years, I would say this is some of his best work. Hopefully, it'll be out around the summer of 89. Bro, well,
1: did you ever get Interface or The Agent? Do you I even th- have that or ever see it? I've never seen I it before in my life. I
0: think I actually probably ha- I have a stack of epic, those thin epic graphic novels right behind me, as a matter of fact. Let's see me, if there's uh, one. In real time here, let's see, because most of these I haven't read um there's oh there's night cat i got night cat um oh
1: great that's
0: there's, awesome there's street poet ray one and two uh, there's oh there's yuppies from hell um, <laughs> what
1: what are you buying
0: <laughs> yuppies from hell is by uh, barbara slate who did angel love
1: so had to get that oh um, i and, love angel love and, oh it's everybody. a lot
0: of fun what else we got here i, I could have sworn i had at least one of those maybe it's in a different uh maybe it's in a different pile here but uh yeah the, i do have a bunch of those i i i want to say i have interface i want to say wow. i have that but well, I'd uh, love to see that thing. have i read it no uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh hudnell wraps up his missive with it's time for your letters take care for now i'll be talking to you all right now our first letter comes from chad in utah Chad's already heard the rumblings that moratorium is going to a bookshelf format, only five issues per year.
1: So let's stop here for a second. Sure. So if he has already heard the rumblings, so think about these letters. So there are about four to five issues behind when these letters are on the go. Is that correct? Yeah,
0: I would assume so. I think we this one discusses some stuff that happens in 26 and 27.
1: So say three months out. Right. Okay, three months out i don't think that announcement was made at this point so how has he already heard the rumblings of a bookshelf format and five issues at that it's
0: true it's true i wonder you know i i wonder if maybe they maybe there was like a rumor printed in in comics journal or amazing heroes or something um yeah, because I think, I mean, we, we mentioned, I, I mean, Brent talked about how the Marvel's graphic novel division was not, you know, not what it could be. So maybe they were trying to pump a little bit of energy into it. Oh,
1: he was uh, on the local net. He found it out. He must have been. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was all over the the local net. Um, <laughs> but poor Chad, he did hear that there would be five issues per year, but he hasn't heard that it was going to be five issues, period. <laughs> so that other <laughs> shoe is going to drop for you pretty soon there, Chad. Uh enjoys bagley's work and he says that this is the best revenge has ever looked
1: i know i give mark bagley a hard time but man i agree so bagley is very serviceable here i mean he took a book from uh from brent anderson just a master of visuals and he made it his own style so you know we're approaching the 90s and you know when i think of when i think of the 90s i mean mark bagley is is a big part of that with new warriors and different things different books that i bought okay so he he does very good work here i mean you know it's it's early Bagley as well. So, I mean, a lot of the things that he goes overboard with in Spider-Man, like the elastic faces and, like, the, you know, the one Spider-Man pose that he does all the time is missing here. So, I mean... Yeah, the
0: bad habits haven't started
1: yeah, yet. Yeah, the bad habits haven't started. And I think that uh, that I don't give Mark Bagley enough credit when it comes to, you know, his actual visuals. Because, I mean, this, this guy can draw. And I know I oh. give him a hard time, but uh, he will get my praise for moratory because i think he did a great job with it
0: absolutely uh chad he continues and he says he was a fan of the pinups that were included in the back of issue number 26 and he would like to see more of them yep now now hudnall replies that the first moratory bookshelf series will run for five issues and it's dependent on how well they're received if we ever see any more and uh well we we already know
1: how that turned out oh boy it's a no hudnall I mean, even, even calling the book Electric Undertow, I mean, that, that really doesn't help matters. And actually, mm-hmm. it just confuses the whole thing because, I mean, you know, wh- when you're thinking of Strikeforce Moratory, you know, you, you a lot of people don't know to look, you know, especially after issue 20, for Electric yeah. Undertow. So, I mean, it, it's just this thing that sort of exists out there, and a lot of people don't know what's actually connected. But anyway, it's it true, is and- – and, I mean, if you look at
0: the covers of Electric Undertow, um, the Strikeforce moratory part of the logo is very,
1: very small. Oh, yes. You, you can actually, like, you, unless you're inspecting it, you wouldn't even know that the characters are the same. I mean, the characters visually. They
0: look a lot different.
1: Yeah, they've got yeah. the uh, they've got the, the leather Avengers jackets and the mustaches <laughs> and all kinds of stuff going on there. So they tried to update them for current times, baby. Well, it is ten years later, so. Oh well, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> their their fashion has has declined, has devolved. Has <laughs> <It's> devolved.
0: <laughs> Our second letter comes from John in Kingston, Ontario. Now he has a question about the Moratory Monsters from way back in issue 17. Ooh. Now apparently there were four of them, but we only ever saw three. And only those three got a mention in the honor roll on the cover of Moratory number 20. So what's up with that, Mr. Hudnell? Now, Hudnell kind of lampshades this by saying the fourth was locked away in a special chamber, but definitely died when Silencer silenced their monstrous hearts. And uh, as for the honor roll, Hudnall suggests that the list only showed some of the names of the Fallen and not every single one. So, uh,
1: there's You that. know what? If they gave me the writing credits on that, that creature would exist. You know what? It would be cool... <laughs> To actually, if they were building another future team, if they were adding members, to actually sure. add that one character in as like, you know, surviving the process—not only surviving the process, but surviving the, you know, you know, death and that mutation. You know what I mean? Actually, mm-hmm. evolve a little bit so you know they're not as as hideous and all that type of stuff. I think that would be an amazing thing. Like have the moritor—one of the moratory monsters—actually survive and become a team member. I would, I would definitely roll with that, baby.
0: It feels like a missed opportunity, right? Cuz oh, I mean yeah. that, that could have been so many character we could have gotten the whole issue inside the monster's head because it can't speak, you know? So we're just like reliving everything that they lived through their memories and and they can feel the pain of the ones that were, you know, that were killed. Uh, i think that could have been a really interesting story
1: thread to pull on but uh and listen every team needs a a thing you know what i mean you need they, a monster Yeah. you need a monster and it it makes a team and you know every you know star trek even knows that you know you need a klingon on board you know you, mm-hmm. you need the monsters you know what i mean what it's what makes the you know the, the the dichotomy between the characters i love it so i mean sure. it would it be a great idea i well, would love yes. to see it great idea right there
0: Maybe in Strikeforce Moratory forever,
1: it'll show up, but you never know.
0: <laughs> uh, letter three comes to us from Andrew in Jersey. He likes the Moratory versus Pidea shift, we and he too. hopes he hopes that the cure for the Moratory effect is never found. Mm. He suggests a sort of partial cure where the character can live on, but they lose their superpowers within a year. So that's an interesting take. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, He's looking forward to the moratory graphic novels and uh, says, until the crazy gang gets a combined IQ of 20,
1: make mine marvel. Oh, Is the crazy
0: gang in this book?
1: Wow, that's—anyway, what the hell?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, Never went over the heads. Big time. Uh, Hudnall replies by pimping the Strikeforce moratory graphic novels a little bit more.
1: Thank God he does, because nobody else does.
0: Nobody else will. Except us, 30 years later. But uh, yeah. <laughs> letter <laughs> <That's> four <very laughs> nice. comes to us from Kevin in Honolulu. He's excited seeing Ock show a little bit of heart. So I'm guessing this is issue 27.
1: Yeah, he, he heard our episode, see?
0: He must have heard the episode. Yeah. Uh, he's very excited about the direction of the book, to which Hudnall replies with, Just you wait. Heh, heh,
1: heh. What does he mean by that I mean the killers For all (laughs) intents and purposes you know Are done after this you know trademark the wind Attack here at the end so I mean What else can you do with them seriously like I don't know I Mm -hmm. mean we got We got 20 pages left come on We got got 20 20 pages pages we need more Tam (laughs) Van Ock in these last 20 pages Let's do it do it to it. Now letter five comes from Ed in Indiana and he
0: likes The costumes of the killer Mm moratorium. And he suggests that the wind's the trademark, the wind's mask looks a little bit familiar, but uh, I don't uh, I don't know what he's talking about. Um, he's
1: comparing it to the Black Freighter.
0: Well, yeah, he, <laughs> he compares. He compares some of the pages in moratorium Number 27 to the black freighter bits In Watchmen And then he immediately apologizes because people compare Everything to Watchmen to which We (laughs) say you just wait a few decades
1: Pal (laughs) Oh oh, oh, boy You're going to get an Alan Moore overload my man No joke
0: Uh, He liked Tam von Ock sparing The dock and he gives this issue A rousing 8.9 Out of 10
1: Just a fraction off of that 9 I mean, just
0: give him the damn nine, dude. Come on. (laughs) Um, Now Hudnall closes out by begging for lots and 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 lots lots of letters. So uh, I
1: have not heard a actual writer beg so much for letters. Like I've never seen this before.
0: This is like me asking people to write in for the show. I mean, this is crazy. And Hudnall's a professional, but uh, yes. We will reveal that uh, next issue does have letters pages. One, two, three. There are four letters as well as another missive from Mr. Hudnell closing everything out. So we will get at least four more letters to uh, d- to discuss and to uh, disassemble. But um, I wonder I, – maybe he just wanted letters to, like, put on his wall or something because where are you going to put them after this, right? <laughs> I, I mean i'm gonna i'm gonna I, flip I, i'm gonna flip to the very end of electric undertone number one here no there is no letters page in a prestige format i, I, I,
1: book, so. I wanted to make a uh a a weird post uh you know a uh a a death joke here but i won't okay <laughs> <laughs> taking the letters to your grave but I, I won't do that i won't do that because i'm a better person i'm, I'm glad you didn't i'm glad I'm A you better didn't. person see now uh bullpen bulletins we ain't got one. Um, <laughs> Why the hell not?
0: Unless you want us to reread that Mark Siri profile for the third week in a row. Yeah. We don't got none. Uh, we think we think the profile we gave today was probably a million times better than the thing that, that would have shown up in a bullpen bulletin since uh, we got to pick the brain of Mr. Brent Anderson and share it. Yep. Um, now, instead of a bullpen bulletin page, we do get a few pages of Daily Bugle news dated uh thursday february 16th 1989 and uh in it we see the war from the new universe which
1: yeah.
0: I, I don't think we ever know anything about that we're, we're certainly never going to talk about something like yeah, that the so. hell,
1: never like listen listen if you ever hear me talk about the new universe well you know you're going to have to write in because it's it's yeah. a weird day and like it's literally the end of the earth so you know it must, be. must be. jeez
0: and I, I don't even know what a new universe is i, uh, I just it's... keep getting Getting blinded by this white light in
1: front of me, I just don't know what it means. Um, I'm looking out the window and my world has changed. I don't know. I see the world outside my window. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Why is Jim Shooter there? He's very tall. He, uh, I'm, why is he, I'm he running the away? Story. Yeah. Why does he look like Stilt Man? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> why? Why is there? A, why is there a, a pickup football game in the middle of the? You know? um, <laughs> Now the other page in the Daily Bugle news page is about damage control. Do you have any thoughts of damage control besides so, it being kind of a one note joke?
1: Oh, it was a one note joke. So <laughs> I bought damage control on a, and it's just one of these comics that you know you you know where you were when you purchased it because sure. I didn't know what, I didn't know what damage control was and I thought the idea. The concept was pretty solid. You know, these it's are the guys who, yeah, they clean up after superheroes cause chaos. Because as we know, you know, when the Avengers, you know, take on Thanos, for example, you know, lots of buildings are blown up. And somebody's mm-hmm. somebody's got to clean it up. So why not damage control? You know what I mean? So the concept is great, but they played it for laughs. So they made it yeah. this big joke comic book. You know what I mean? So after buying issue one, that was the uh, end of my damage control buying comics right there
0: you have the full run <laughs> i did um, not
1: like it no but anyway i got it on a vacation in um toronto so there you wow, go at that? a becker's store it's like a poor man's 7-eleven and i went in asking for a slurpee because my dad said oh yeah they have slurpees mm-hmm. then i realized this is not 7-eleven this is becker's mm. they didn't have slurpees chris so what do they have instead? Do they have like a damage control number one and Terminator how number it, one with how now. it taste? Did that taste good? Uh, that well, the the now comic from uh, from <laughs> from with Terminator actually tasted like 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 shit. honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there you go.
0: Sometimes it's exactly what it says on the tin, isn't it? <laughs> um, we do have some ads, not very many. Um, we actually just have one, and it's about the What If monthly series. Because this is uh, Volume 2 of What If. They did you know, the What If in the late 70s, early 80s. Now we have the other What If, which ran for like a billion issues and ended with the, the launch of uh, the MC2 universe with Spider-Girl. You,
1: you have What If. The idea is genius. You know what I mean? Oh, like sure. You, you can actually continue a storyline and go off in a different direction, okay? So, you know, you can reverse debts, You can do a lot of stuff. But instead, a lot of these things were just played for laughs, or they went in such a weird direction where, like, they felt like nobody really cared that they wanted to make something good. Like, a lot of these ideas were genius. Like the original "What If"? I loved every single one. Like the ideas of it, anyway. Sure. You know what I mean? What if? You know what if Gwen Stacy lived? And you know what? You know what if the Spider Man clone didn't die and different things like this? I mean, so thought-provoking ideas but i mean the 90s version of what if just i don't know and a lot of a lot of the things i never ever wondered what if i was like why bother i should have been
0: (laughs) yeah they're they're just not the not the greatest thing in the world and i think I'm, I'm, i'm like looking through a list here to see if there's like the first issue here of volume two is what if the avengers had
1: lost the evolutionary war
0: was that a question anybody asked?
1: No, sir. No, the, the question was why did Chris buy the Evolutionary War? <laughs> because was a... it was on the back of a trading card. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there you go, look at that.
0: Let's see here. What if the Punisher's family had not been killed? It's just a it's just a one page story, right? Um <laughs> What if Wolverine was the Lord of Vampires? That's, you
1: that's ever once you thought about it and don't care. Uh, well
0: what if wolverine had been the lord of vampires during inferno we're doing another wolverine lord of vampire who
1: what like 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 seriously like you have the weapon x storyline like what if somebody else became weapon x that's your idea that's your spin you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like i don't know man
0: yeah And let me go to the first volume here where the first issue of the first volume is what if spider-man had joined the fantastic four okay fair enough more interesting than that i mean i'm in
1: yes yep. what like what else did they have there bang out some more uh
0: what if the hulk had the brain of bruce banner which is something that they Fair did
1: enough. they explore. did yep.
0: um what if captain america had not vanished during world war
1: ii love it see now That's you're good now one. this is good stuff you know what i mean so why didn't the 90s have this stuff
0: yeah. holy cow oh check out on uh, issue 10 from the first volume what if jane foster had found the hammer of thor boom
1: there you go baby this Imagine. is the stuff like this is the stuff that What If was founded on, and the nineties yep. completely lost it. God, like it. they just they took yeah, like Wolverine as a vampire. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to know that stuff. Like no. oh, <laughs> frustration nation.
0: What if Conan the Barbarian walked the earth today from the original run? There, nice Spider Man clone had lived. See, yeah. What if Phoenix had not died? I mean, there these the first run, a lot of good stuff. But you could have retold
1: one. some of those again. You know what I mean? Because they had the spins, like you had the clone saga, you had the different things with the clones. I mean, you could literally have taken those first issue ideas and respawn some of those. Sure.
0: I, I think maybe in the 90s we were all so tied up in like the minutia of the continuity that yep. like we wanted like every little thing. Like I'm looking at one here. What if what if Daredevil what if Daredevil had saved Nuke? <laughs> that's that's what? a whole issue. Hmm. what if storm of the x-men remained a thief what 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 if death's head one had lived oh my god this I is mean, useless yeah what if iron man sold out what
1: <laughs> <laughs> well that would happen it's called the mcu <laughs>
0: oh boy <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! What if Magneto ruled all mutants? What if Shard had lived instead of Bishop?
1: Oh my God! What if they actually did a great "What if" issue? Never What happened. if, J,
0: what if J. Jonah Jameson had adopted Spider-Man?
1: Oh stop! Sorry, it's there. Yeah. Gentle Christ.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, second volume maybe not so great, but uh, first
1: volume is amazing, and I would recommend it to anybody. Yeah, really they, they, good stuff. I mean,
0: yeah, we just rattled off a few. They were the pretty cool stuff. But uh, that's the only ad from this book because Moratory is back in house ads only mode. Um, so for other more fun ads, we had to consult other Marvel comics with a June 1989 cover date. And, uh, well, the pickings were still pretty slim. We got one new ad that we haven't discussed that's worth maybe talking about.
1: Yeah, no, it's definitely worth talking about.
0: This is for a breakfast cereal by Ralston known for making dog food called uh, Morning Funnies cereal. Do you remember Morning Funnies cereal?
1: We did not get this nor did I know that Ralston made dog food, which makes this even more intriguing. <laughs> Ralston Purina. Yeah, this
0: is a I remember getting this because like the back the back cover of this box it like opens out and in it there's like comic strips. So no like you could way. Uh, Yes, yeah, so you could like read comic strips uh, while you're eating your uh, your sugary cereal. And were they new? Here,
1: like, what, did they update them all the time?
0: I don't remember. I don't remember. It might just be. I couldn't imagine they'd be contemporary, but uh, I'm sure they were not ancient either. But uh, what do we got here? We got Luann. We got uh, Dennis Beetle the Bailey. Menace, Beetle
1: Bailey, Hagar. The Family
0: Circus, High and Lois, Marvin. Yes, all your it's- favorites i <laughs> <All laughs> love them in one box because you need you need to read Mauvin so you can just like hear how a, how a kid uh defecates on himself constantly
1: um i loved so the idea is great oh yeah, okay totally. but i think it's a little bit at a time here so i mean you're talking about uh, morning you know comic book strips and newspapers okay yeah. so all of these characters are like from tv guides and newspaper strips right now yep. and this is 1989 so i mean basically the fan base has moved on to strictly comics and i mean it's ready to to really spike in the 90s you know what i mean so sure. we're on the cusp of like the comic book explosion but yet you're using properties from I guess, uh, you know, literally the morning funnies that that were in your newspaper. So, you think this was a good idea? I mean, some of these are well, very know, recognizable. It, so Dennis the Menace and Hagar the Horrible are super recognizable. You know, they're they're basically universal. You know what I mean? You know who these characters are. Maybe and Dennis maybe, had a
0: cartoon at the time
1: too. So. Yeah. Okay. So so he's he should be your he's head the star.
0: Yeah.
1: Beetle Bailey. I personally like that character. Me too. But. Uh, but I just don't know if this, you know, would inspire me to buy cereal. I love the idea of having a comic book built onto the box. I think that's genius. Oh, yeah. But that yeah. cereal looks like crap. So it's multicolored. Oh,
0: yeah, it's it's smiley faces in in various fruit-colored uh,
1: clumps. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, and that's <laughs> what I put it to, clumps. I mean, so number one, your, your kid needs uh, insulin after all the diabetes he's about to get.
0: Yes.
1: And you know the the amount of uh you know colors that are in this thing uh you know would definitely uh...
0: you're gonna be sterilized yeah oh.
1: <laughs> you're not <laughs> supposed to go, go right to the back of your nose with the with the amount of color that's in this thing so I don't know um, I'm not but... sure I'm gonna give this one a uh, a little bit of a dud because I think it's a think little so. bit at a time I think yeah, the idea. And I'm not sure if a dog food company is the right one to be making my (laughs) breakfast cereal. I'm just tossing it.
0: (laughs) And wasn't Was there like didn't Beetle Bailey spin out of high and Lois? Isn't he like related to Lois or something? Beetle Bailey? I think so. I think he's like Lois's cousin or brother or something in high and Lois.
1: This, This is the first I'm hearing of this.
0: We'll have to we'll have to do a high and lowest family tree to make sure.
1: <laughs> Remind us, listeners, we will we will get to the bottom of this mystery. I <laughs> will I will tell you what episode is coming up so you can avoid that one, folks. I'll I'll spare your life. <laughs> let, let me see here, Beetle Bailey, the
0: Wikipedia. Oh, do we have a? Uh...
1: He's going let full me, treadmill I'm again, a, or at a, least a... partial treadmill. <laughs>
0: let's see here uh he is the brother of lois flagston from high and lois so yes he is there
1: what is happening in the world
0: cats and dogs are living together beetle bailey's so uh so that are you related to beetle bailey are you related to high and
1: lois well listen it's funny you said that because one of the <laughs> stupid jokes that people would taunt me with in uh, in you know grade school was, "Hey Beetle Bailey," <laughs> and you're like, "Shut up, you meathead! What do you call me, Beetle Bailey?" Because <laughs> I get it, my last name's Bailey, so I'm Beetle Bailey. <laughs> oh, I'm still laughing at that. Cry, uh, laugh through the
0: tears. Laugh through
1: the, pain. Laugh through the tears. I killed but, that guy. I saw him off the box. They <laughs> went. Oh, whoa! Let's move on.
0: Never mind. Never mind. But uh, <laughs> it's it's weird how like we're in 1989 here and like there's no Garfield, there's no peanuts, there's no uh, like the, you'd figure those would be the biggies. <laughs> but,
1: uh, <laughs> These characters not. are suspiciously out of date. Yeah,
0: uh, if only there was a Mary Worth in here. <laughs> Could you imagine?
1: Uh, hmm. Now you're talking, baby. There we
0: are. You want a cereal with Aunt, with Aunt, with Mary Worth on the box?
1: Captain uh, Newfoundland. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but Come I on. think you you're you're getting that for Christmas, whether you want it or not. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: I think that's all we got for this week. Yeah, we did this thing cover to cover. Gave some great time to uh, mr brent anderson and uh got some wonderful information and we're looking forward to more to share with you all but uh i think that's all we got so you have anything uh, anything else for the uh, for the gentle man, listeners any plugs i think
1: i can't wait i uh, listen i'm just gonna plug the next next episode because man i cannot wait so you know you got the next set of questions to look forward to mm-hmm. uh that brent goes into detail of you know leaving marvel and different things like that so you know be prepared because i think it's going to be a barn burner and you know according to the detail we got with this one i cannot wait to see what uh what transpires so you know it's going to be an eye-opener for everybody mm-hmm. and you know we go full treadmill one more time to pass it up and who knows you might see some extra pitch force wrap some things up it's going to be one hell of a last episode and uh, man we made it or we're, we're not there yet but we're, we're on the there. way Episode mm-hmm. 31 did you ever think it would Happen brother oh
0: no I sure Didn't I sure and didn't there were times During this run where I figured we were We were just gonna wave the flag but No
1: we're we're it, here it was, and uh, it was it was An emotional high, an emotional low. and you know we we survived Brother we got there Absolutely. and uh, if you want to Find me and uh, tell us all about you know Your your thoughts of every single you Know one of these episodes in gory Detail hit mm-hmm. me up on the mm-hmm. Twitter at charlton underscore hero and uh just let me know what you think and where can he find you christopher well one
0: more thing about next week we do have the return of the bullpen bulletins which uh, oh my god yeah i mean uh, i hope everyone's sitting here because we have a profile of mark mclaurin <laughs> yes <laughs> um and also we have the return of stan's soapbox it is about um, two paragraphs long, maybe about 80 words. So uh, that's why it took three months to put it out. Um, he, says, uh,
1: he says basically that he created Spider-Man and Steve yes. Ditko can go suck it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's
0: what I'm, he says.
1: That's what suck <laughs> it.
0: <laughs> but, but yes we will have uh a tremendous episode next week but uh until then you could find me on the twitter machine at ace comics and also uh, all the audio archives at chris and reggie.podbean.com and all the show notes at chris's on infinite Earths.com. so that's where everything is that's us, that's us that's us. that's we that's me that's everything so uh you know, one last time, we want to make sure we thank everyone for hanging out. It means the world to us that, uh, that folks are sticking with this program and, and hopefully, uh, coming around to, uh, the, this latter third of Strike Force Moratorium along with us. Uh, uh, we want to definitely hear your thoughts here. I'm going to pull a huddle on you and say, we need letters.
1: <laughs> we, need, <laughs> we
0: need letters, please. We're very lonely. So, uh, Write in. Let us know what you think about Strikeforce Moratorium. Let us know what you think of the uh, Brent Anderson interview. Uh, we want to hear some thoughts on that because some solid information, wonderful information. But uh, I think that's all we got. Till next time, we will, uh, as always, talk to you again real soon.
1: See ya!